Life is full of discouragements. There is rarely a month that goes by that I don't seriously contemplate leaving the ministry permanently. There's not a month that goes by that I don't seriously contemplate leaving the ministry permanently. There's not a month that goes by that almost every pastor doesn't seriously contemplate leaving the ministry permanently. The majority of pastors don't stay in the ministry for more than 10 years. The average pastorate in this country right now is 18 months. 18 months for a pastor to serve. I've already beat the average here. But that's the average in our country right now is 18 months. It's, it's, it's full of discouragement, life is. You know, I say even for pastors, and, I, and from my perspective, especially for pastors. Especially for pastors, I think. You know, like some of the things that are discouragement to me is people second-guessing everything I do. Everything. Second-guessing whether or not I go to the hospital and visit somebody. Second-guessing whether or not I take vacation. Second-guessing if I take vacation... Where does he get off going to that place for vacation? Where do you get off questioning how about I spend my money? No, I'm just, anyways. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff that people do, you know? Second guessing every decision. Managing conflict. Managing conflict. This is one that's really discouraging to me. Managing conflict. Because 99% of the conflict that I manage, I am not in conflict with Mark and Jimmy that I'm aware of. So, so, so. <laughs> But say Mark and I are in conflict with one another and, and Dale knows about it and Dale comes and he's heard Mark's side of the story and Mark's not telling him the whole thing. I can't tell Dale. I just have to look at Dale and go, dude, you just got to trust me. And Dale's like, ah, come on. Because Mark, but, you know, like, I have to discredit Mark. I have to talk bad about Mark. So managing conflict is a huge one that gets pastors discouraged, makes them want to quit. You know, because to do it, to manage it well, you basically have to tell people, I can't tell you. You just have to trust me. And if you don't, if you start talking, if I start talking bad about Mark, then all of a sudden now I've got conflict with you. Because <laughs> you're like, what are you, man, look at him talking bad about Mark. Or about this, balancing to the competing interest of different stakeholders in the church. There are 215 people at least that call Oil City Community Alliance Church their home. If you think you represent the average person, please raise your hand. So you guys know the trick question. Uh, you guys are like, uh-uh, I am not getting suckered by this. There is no average person. We are not equations. We're not numbers. We're people with a mind, will, and emotions. There is no average person. There's limited resources. There's limited time. There's limited everything. is limited. And we have to balance those competing interests of everybody. And inevitably, some people are not going to be happy. They get suspect managing conflict. Here's another one that's discouraging. makes me just want to quit. Trying to break free from the stereotypes people have for pastors. I.e. what they expect me to do. Corey Lamming. Come here, Corey. Is, is, is already our associate pastor of missions and outreach 
effective today as assigned by the district office. He's bivocational. So that means he's got a huge salary. And if you do good standing here, I'll double your salary. What's double of zero? Okay, so, but you could, you could get double the salary today. I, I'll triple it, actually. Corey, at, at this point, Corey got a, a officially started April 26th. He has more experience being a pastor than anybody else at OCCA, with the exception of John and I. And yet, I promise you, one of the things Corey's going to have to learn how to balance and, and deal with as a discouragement is those of you with no pastoral experience telling him how he has to be a pastor when you have no experience at it. Go sit down. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like everybody's got a stereotype. Like everybody in this room says this is what a pastor should do. You, everybody, including me. I think I know what a pastor's supposed to do too. All of us think that, right? I promise you, None of you have the same idea. You may have some overlap, but none of you have the same idea. Right? And so we have these stereotypes of what a pastor is supposed to do, all these kind of things. And you know, like I said, not a month goes by where I don't seriously consider quitting the ministry permanently. Yes, every month since I've been here, I've seriously considered quitting the ministry permanently. Every month that I was at Clarion, same thing. Every month that I was at Crossroads Fellowship, same thing. It's a serious consideration every single month. At least once a month. It's pretty easy to get to the point where you just want to quit. And it's pretty easy to say, you know what? Nobody can understand me. Nobody can relate. And quite simply, I don't feel like going on anymore. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe many of you, you think you have it bad as a pastor? You should be in my shoes. Right? Some of you are without jobs. Some of you have marriages that are falling apart. Some of you have different things that are going on. I mean, so the reality is, you know, we're all in this idea that we're the ones that are getting crushed and everybody else, like, we look and we go, boy, I, I wish that I had their life. We get to this place of discouragement and we go, yeah, well, you know, you can sit here and tell me how bad it is, but I see all the good in your life. You should be in part of my life and I just want to, I, I want to quit too. The reality is that every single one of us is facing situations in life, sometimes impossibly difficult situations, and there are definitely times when we are ready to give up. But should we give up? Should we simply lay down and quit? Maybe not quit permanently. Maybe just quit for a month. Maybe I'll just take a break for two months. Maybe I'll just take a year sabbatical. Maybe I'll just go on vacation. and or maybe, I, maybe I won't quit permanently. Maybe I'll just quit here. You know, like I'm at this school working as a teacher here. I'm going to go find another school to be a teacher. Or I'm at this factory working here. Maybe I'm going to go find another factory to work at. I'm just going to quit here. I mean, is this resonating with anybody? You ever have these struggles? Some of you are probably so freaked out right now. You think I'm getting ready to resign. I'm not. But <laughs> does anybody else, Just it's not a trick question. Just by a show of hands, does anybody else ever feel like this? Like what I'm talking about. Be honest. 
The rest of you are not telling the truth. <laughs> so, I mean, we all, we all get to the point where we just want to quit sometimes. But should we? Should we? To answer that question, we have to turn to the Scriptures because as Christians, we're not supposed to do whatever pops in our mind. I want to, just before we turn to the Bible, I want to throw this out. Do I trust that the Holy Spirit can speak into your life today as an individual believer? Absolutely. But it better line up with Scripture. Because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, I'm calling bull. Right? God will not say something that contradicts His written word. If you tell me He said something that contradicts His written word, I'm calling bull. If you are married, raise your hand. Okay. Now, put your hands down. All of you who raised your hand, God is never going to tell you to divorce your spouse. Ever. He says he hates divorce. Jesus says in the scriptures that Moses gave you a, a, a concession of divorce. Not a command. Because we're hard hearted. I know some of you are already struggling right now going, oh, but, 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 but. It's not the point of the sermon today. When you come to me though and tell me, oh, nope, this is what God wants for my life. I'm going to say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's why we have to go to the Scriptures. We say inside the Christian and Missionary Alliance in our statement of faith that the Bible is the only rule of Christian faith and practice. means that if you're telling me something that contradicts this, I'm calling bull. And so should you. We need to know this. Knowing and obeying God's Word is fundamental to all true success. It's one of the core values of the Alliance. So what does the Bible say about this? I want you to open up to... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. It says here in this passage, in in the ESV, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I'm going to read it one more time, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to explore this passage. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Father, we confess to you today that we struggle with the idea of quitting sometimes. We just want to quit. But Lord, we also confess to you today that our personal wants, our personal desires, our personal struggles, our personal temptations aren't supposed to be what controls us. But that your word, your eternal truth is what should make those decisions for us. And so Lord, we ask you today to illuminate this passage of scripture to us that we might put it in our hearts, that we might store it up, that we might not sin against you. And so in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So... I want you to know that as you think about this struggle, you're not alone. 
And I don't mean that you're not alone in the sense that everybody in the congregation is also having these struggles at times about wanting to give up. But you're not alone because even Jesus felt this way. I mean, as you can see from the text, the author of Hebrews wants you to know that you're not alone. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So just shout it out really fast. It's one word, starts with a J, ends with an S, and rhymes with bus. Who's he talking about? Okay, come on, that was lame. Who's he talking about? Okay, he's talking about Jesus. All right? So even Jesus was tempted to give up or give in at different times. He's holding Jesus up as an example to give us faith to continue to push on when we're feeling discouraged, when we want to quit, when we want to do all these things. Jesus himself was tempted to give up at different times. Again, he's talking about Jesus. Do we all agree with that? Amen? If you agree, say amen. amen. Okay, so we're talking about Jesus. So I'm, a, I'm allowed at this point to bring some things out of Jesus' story. Amen? Okay, like half of you are convinced that I'm allowed to bring it out of his story. Can I, can I bring it out of a story, amen? Okay. So here's one of them. During his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted to give up. Think about it. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. I want to talk about the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. They physically saw the Spirit come down on him like a dove. They heard a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. I mean, clearly something is happening here. And what is Jesus' initial thing that happens to him? He's taken out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan is what it tells us. Now, in the homework for this week, you're going to be able to read that in Matthew. Where he's tempted in the wilderness and what those temptations are. But I'm going to recap them here for you real quick. He's out there fasting. He's not eating anything. He's tempted to turn stones into bread. The second temptation, he's tempted to... Satan says, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll I'll stop fighting you. I'll give you everything. And the third temptation is, well, take yourself and throw yourself off the temple and prove that you're the Son of God. Because it says that he he won't let you get hurt. Guys, this is a huge temptation. All three of these temptations at their heart have the same thing at their core. A shortcut to get out of the pain. A shortcut to end the fast. A shortcut to redeeming the world. Hey, you can have the whole world. Just acknowledge that I'm over you. A shortcut to proving that he was the son of God. Throw yourself off. Watch the miracle happen. You'll you'll shortcut it. You don't have to go through all of this. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through the trials. You don't have to go through the tribulations. You don't have to deal with all of this junk. But each time Jesus used the scriptures to stand against that. He said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When he tempted him to just, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the nations, he said, but the scriptures say that you should worship the God and him only. And then he said, well, just throw yourself off and prove that you're who you say you are. And he said, but the scriptures say you should not tempt the Lord your God. He could have shortcut this whole thing. Remember that 
when we preach through, we're preaching through Hebrews here. And in chapter 4 of Hebrews in verse 15, it says that he was tempted like us but did not sin. We've already hit that passage of scripture months ago in the book of Hebrews. So here's one place where he's tempted to quit, tempted to give up early. Here's a second place in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was coming. Remember, Peter had rebuked him when he said that he was going to have to die. He was going to have to suffer. And three days later, he would rise. And Peter rebuked him for that. Jesus knew what was coming. And you're going to read this in your homework this week if you read that stuff. Jesus says, he's there and he's he's praying. And he's in agony and he's telling God the Father that my, my spirit is overcome. And he says, I don't want to do this. Take this cup of suffering from me. But not my will, your will be done. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was in such agony that he actually started sweating blood. Now, some of you think that's impossible. There's actually some stuff you can find on the crucifixion and what happened there on Jesus' night of his, eve of his crucifixion all the way through the crucifixion. It goes through it. And sweating blood can actually happen by extreme times of stress. They, it's scientifically possible. Happens fairly regularly. I mean, when I say fairly regularly, relative to the entire timeline you know people it it happens this is kind of excruciating trials and jesus himself is tempted to quit but he says not my will your will even on the cross itself matthew 27 records that jesus cried out i'm going to give you the translation because my aramaic's not too good my god my god Why have you forsaken me? And he's crying out and the people that are there, there's two different groups of people that are there. Some that want to just alleviate his pain and suffering so they get some sour wine on a reed. They're going to give him something to drink. And others are like, wait, wait, hold up. Let's see if if Elijah or whoever comes down to rescue him. He's crying out in agony. He chose, though, to go to the cross. He chose to suffer. He tells us in his word that nobody made him lay down his life, but he chose to lay it down and he could pick it up again. But he was tempted to quit. He was tempted to quit. In all of this, Jesus was tempted to give up or give in, but he never did. And the author of Hebrews says that in this fact, we should find encouragement to press on. I mean, read it there in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted because in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's saying it's bad. The author of Hebrews is saying it's bad. We understand the suffering that you're going through. I understand that you want to give up. But consider what Jesus has went through. Consider all of those things. And he didn't give up. And you haven't suffered to that point. So don't give up. Some of you are ready to quit today. Don't give up. Consider him who suffered immeasurably more than your suffering and say, God, I'm being crushed. I want to quit, but I'm not going to. Give me power. Now, some of you inside of your hearts right now, I know this is is the case. Some of you are saying, yeah, but Jesus was God in the flesh. And if I was him, I could have made it. 
He doesn't really expect me to find hope in this, does he? Well, actually he does. Because he promised you the power to endure through the infilling of the Spirit if only you would pursue him for that. Yeah, he actually expects you to do this. Now, Jesus did not minister in his deity during that three years of ministry. He ministered in his spirit-empowered humanity, and there is a substantial difference in those two. And we know that this is the case because we know the Scriptures teach that he was fully God and yet fully man. But you know what else we know? He says, all of this stuff you've seen me do, you can do it. And even greater things. Jesus expected us, not just the author of Hebrews, but your God and my God expected us to be able to do all of these things. To be able to push through. To be able to endure. To be able to keep on keeping on when we didn't want to keep on anymore. But I don't want you just to believe in that just because of what I'm saying here. So I want to give you another example about the power to keep on. I mean, if any person other than Jesus, you know, knew that he was what, what it was to keep on keeping on, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you think about it, in, in, from Paul's epistles, we learn that Paul suffered through beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, multiple attempts on his life, character defamation... And many other things. I mean, this is a guy who was beaten, stoned, lashed. I mean, he, he was whipped. People defamed his character, called his character into question. All of these things. His response through all of this is amazing. His response through all of this is amazing. What is Paul's response to this? With these things in mind, think about what he wrote in Philippians. He's suffering like this. All of these things are going on. He says... Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the help of the what? Spirit of Jesus Christ, okay? This will turn out for my deliverance, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me is to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I, um, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Paul had a death wish. He was ready to go home and be with Jesus. He was ready to quit. He was ready to go on, get out of here, and say, you know what, Jesus, bring me home to glory. Hallelujah. Just waiting on there. And some of us are using that as an excuse to say, so that's all we do is sit back and long for the days that we're home. But no, no, Paul goes on and says, but to remain in the flesh, or excuse me, my, my desire is to pardon me with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. People, what I'm saying is that he was able to endure all these, all these hardships 
because of the hope that he had in Jesus. In the spirit of Jesus Christ. I mean, it said that. You know, I think that's part of the problem with why so many people want to give up, especially in the American church, is because we don't understand that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. Both God, both the same God, and it's through the Spirit, through the empowerment of God's Spirit in our life that we get this power. And there's many of us who want to quit, who want to give up, who want to just call it quits because we don't know what it is to be empowered by God's Spirit. We've been living off of emotion. And when the emotions are high, things are good. And when the emotions are low, that's it, I'm done. But we don't, we don't know what it is to be filled with His Spirit. We don't know what it is to be controlled by His Spirit. And there's some of us who believe, yes, I know what it is to be filled by God's Spirit. And I say, really? Well, when were you filled? And you go, I, I don't know exactly when, but I know that I am. Ha! If you don't know when you got filled with God's Spirit, you're not filled. He, when He takes control of you, you know you're not in control anymore. There's not one time anywhere in the Bible that somebody's filled with God's Spirit, they don't know it. Not once. If somebody finds the place where they're filled with His Spirit and don't know it, and you come and show me that, I'll repent. I'll recant right in front of the whole congregation next week. But it's not there. Sometimes it was evidenced by people speaking in tongues. Sometimes it was evidenced by scales falling off their eyes and them going out and starting to preach boldly. Sometimes it was evidenced by this. Sometimes it was evidenced by that. There's all these kind of different ways that it was evidenced, but nobody was filled and didn't know it. But we bought into a theology that says, well, I asked to be filled, and so I asked, and so he gave it to me. Hmm. I've asked God for a lot of stuff he's not given me. Some of it for my own good. Some of it, when it comes to the Spirit of God, when we ask Him, it's because we don't really want it. A.W. Tozer says it this way. If you're going to be filled with God's Spirit, you have to realize that you're no longer in control anymore. And the reality is that each one of us wants to be in control. You don't want God's Spirit to fill you and control you. You want it to give you a little pep, like a Red Bull. Or a monster. Or an amped. You know? But that's not what it is. As a matter of fact, it's, it's not an it. But it's a he. He wants to live his life again through you. He doesn't want you in control. He wants to be in control. And so I guess in the, you get the best of both worlds. You get to quit. You get to let him be in charge. Paul was able to endure all of these things because of the hope he had in Jesus. I mean, what does it say in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This hope was more than intellectual or emotional though. It was experiential. Some of you have an intellectual or an emotional hope in Jesus, but you've never experienced it. And so when you're saying, oh, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners and, and, and look at this example and you're like, yeah, 
I, I'm, I got this intellectual thing. I got this emotional thing. But boy, I, I don't get it. But what he's saying here is that when you say, God, less of me, more of you, Jesus comes in and controls. He went through all of that. He can go through what you're going through. God doesn't want you to be in control. He wants you to be out of control. He wants to be in control. And I think this is the reason that many of us have never experienced the infilling of the Spirit. Because we don't want to be out of control. I mean, some of us are, are so control-oriented, we're afraid that if the Spirit of God breaks out in revival here, that people will start being slain in the Spirit, and then people will start speaking in tongues, and this and that will happen, and boy, we can't have any of that going on because the world will think that we're weird. i got news for you. It's already happening here. Right here. All right, cheer. Somebody was slain in the Spirit one Sunday while you all sat here and watched and prayed for them. Radically transformed their life. There are at least 30 people inside of our congregation that I know have the gift of tongues in the form of at least a prayer language, some of them prophetic. They use, I can walk around this worship center on Sunday morning and I hear people using it. I'm not going to ask anybody to volunteer it in front of everybody right now. I will someday. No, we are going there. Eventually. Laura Spriggs came up last Sunday with a prophetic word from God to deliver. I did the same thing last week after I got done doing it. Another sister in the congregation came and affirmed to me that, that it was right on, that that's the same thing they were hearing from the Lord. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're going for inside of our body. Yes, that's what we're going for. In October, we have a speaker coming to teach on this. His name's Paul King. But let's just think about this being more than emotional and physical, or emotional and, and, uh, and intellectual, that it's experiential. In Acts chapter 9, Paul becomes a Christian. He starts proclaiming Christ, and he's immediately in danger, so much so that he had to flee the city. Why was Paul able to do this? Why was he able to flee the city and go out and learn and go out and continue witnessing and go out and do all of this? Because in Acts chapter 9, verses 17, it says these words, and you need to get a hold of it. He was filled with the Spirit. He was baptized in God's Spirit. See, when we want to quit and we want to give up, it's because we don't know what it is. We say, oh, look to Jesus. Consider Him who was, who was endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I'm going to tell you that that consider Him is more than just think about Him. It's like this. Why don't you try Jesus? Consider Him like that. Consider trying Jesus. Consider letting Jesus have control. Consider allowing the God of all of the universe to come and take up residence inside of you. And know your life is going to radically change. I guarantee you if you do this, there's going to be things that you're doing right now that you're going to have to stop doing. Because he's going to, you're not going to have time to do them. He's going to want you to do some different stuff. You're not going to have time to do those things. Understand that. He means we should be filled with God's Spirit. 
Now, there's homework for this week that you guys can look over. Monday's Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It's the temptation in the wilderness. Tuesday's Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Wednesday's Luke 22, 39 through 46. This is again about Jesus, about the suffering that he had, about all the things that he endured. Thursday, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Friday, Philippians 3, 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. And Saturday, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. All of the scriptures that I touched on this morning. When the author of Hebrews is telling us to consider Jesus, he's saying more than just to sit back and intellectually think upon Him. He's saying, sit back and consider letting Him be in control. Let Him do what He wants to do. Let Him be God. You stop playing God and let Him be God. You stop saying, Jesus doesn't do this anymore. Jesus doesn't do that anymore. And you say, nope. He's God. I'm going to let Him do whatever He wants to. So we're not going to have the worship team come back yet. We're going to pray. And the worship team is going to come and do the offertory towards the end of the service. And we're not at the end of the service yet. So let's pray. And then we're going to have have a response time this morning. Father, we come before you. We recognize right now that... Um... It's a, it's a real serious challenge to us to consider Him who endured such hostility from the hands of sinners. Lord, we recognize that we have not endured to the point of shedding blood, but that Jesus has, and He wants to empower us to go on. He wants, us to, he wants to empower us to do more. And so we ask You to have Your way in all of this. Father, empower this, this time of ministry at the altar. Lord, that people today might be filled with your spirit, in some for the first time ever. And Lord, help us to take off our agenda of what that might look like. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen.